Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey everyone, JJ and Kyle here, another Baseball America playoff podcast. We've got World Series to talk about. We're going to talk a little bit about, we, you know, we sorry we took yesterday off, but we are back to talk about the Astros advancing World Series because we already had talked about the Dodgers getting there to an extent. But we're also obviously, we've got World Series tonight, so we are going to talk about the World Series and, and what we expect. So before we do that, though, I do want to remind you that we thank you for tuning in to today's Baseball America podcast. Our podcast is sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. Shop now at Baseballism.com and enter the offer code BASHIP, that's B-A-S-H-I-P, to receive free shipping on your order. Visit Baseballism.com to shop for hats, shirts, and more today. We dive in. We dive into a World Series that is a matchup of what could be very easily defined as two great teams. Two potentially great teams. If they either one of these wins the World Series, they immediately go down as a great team, not just because they won the World Series, but because you are talking about a team that won over 100 games that wins the World Series. First time we've seen two teams with at least 100 wins in the World Series since 1970, Reds and the Orioles in their heydays. I think great games. I mean, great, great teams. There, uh, yeah. Absolutely, well, especially that Reds team qualifies as one of the all-time greats. And they weren't the ones who won it. The Orioles yeah. beat. I mean, this is no doubt. I mean, obviously the Dodgers were the best team in baseball, pretty much start to finish. The Astros were the best team in the American League for a majority of the year before the Indians had that enormous surge there at the end. I think you look at it and you can reasonably say these are the two teams who deserve to be there. Also, the Indians had a great run, but over the course of the season, the Astros also were an elite, elite team especially adding Justin Verlander. I mean, that continues to be not just a great trade for the year, but one of the all-time great additions, in mid-season additions, the, period. I, it is amazing. Do remember, they failed to get him at the trade deadline. And then we go to the waiver trade deadline. And to say that it goes down to the wire, I mean, at the deadline, the deadline was over and no one knew that they had acquired Verlander. And here you are. It's 15, 20 minutes after the reports start leaking out. Wait, might have actually happened. Hold on. And and really what you are talking about is, is very well could be the difference. I, I, again, that right there, it is... It is the difference that propelled them to the World considering Series. Considering no how that, you know, it went seven games in the, in the ALCS. And considering how Verlander pitched, it, it, you could very well make the argument that that is the difference between Houston being there or not. It's never about just one player, but one player can make an outsized difference. And not only that, but if you're the Astros, you feel an awful lot better about where you stand in the World Series because you have Justin Verlander going at least twice. Absolutely. The Astros now can go into Dodger Stadium and look on the road in the World Series. It's never easy. Teams are always better at home. When you can go Keuchel Verlander 1-2 on the road, you're in great, great shape. A lot better than if it was Keuchel you know, potentially Peacock, McCullers. Peacock. Even though, even though Charlie Morton pitched Morton. a great Game Seven, Lance McCullers was great as well. I don't think anyone would argue that having Justin Verlander pitch Game oh, Two absolutely. isn't a better option than all those other guys. So, and it also those guys don't go away. It just means, and especially that to me, one of the things that to kind of put a bow on the ALCS. What was fascinating about that is is that the Astros are one of the teams that has 
most used the piggyback system in the minor leagues. Astros starting pitching prospects are used to coming in in generally clean starts of innings. They have relievers. They've had relievers for years whose job it is to clean it up. But then you hand the ball off and you know that you are coming in in the fifth or the sixth or sometimes even the seventh. And then your job is to finish out the game. Lance McCullers went through that process. That was, you know, the process when he was there, you know, coming up through the system. And so it does fascinate me that basically that that was a new role for him because he was essentially closing out game seven of the ALCS. But in some ways it wasn't because, you know... There's it, familiarity, and that's where it's, you know, I'm a big fan of organizations that prepare their guys for all different eventualities in the minor leagues so that at least when you get to the majors, there's that sense of, okay, I've done this before, nothing is foreign. And I think as much as skill development, that's another big part of player development is putting them in different situations, sometimes uncomfortable situations or unusual situations so that they know what they can do or what to do if they're faced with that. And... Again, I, I give a lot of credit to A.J. Hinge, too, for sticking with McCullers. He was rolling, no reason to take him out there. Overall, I give Astros, the Astros a lot of credit. Um, they really, really they had to come out in Game 7. We've spoken before about some skepticism. Charlie Morton had two hor- horrible playoff starts. They weren't just bad. They, were, they put his team in a bind. Came out, had his best start of the postseason. McCullers comes in in his money. They had you know big contributions at the plate. Evan Gaddis. This was a guy who, excuse me, this was a team that throughout we saw different guys step up, and that's how you win the playoffs because it's not just, I mean, your stars have to perform, but everyone's got stars. It needs to be the stars perform, the support players perform, and the Astros, again, big moments, they shined. And it's going to be a fun World Series. I I will say that the Dodgers, I I do think, are favored and should be favored just by virtue of the run they've been on, the season they've had. I wouldn't say if the Astros win, it's a shocking upset of all-time proportions. I would go Dodgers in six, but again, I would not say the Astros are in any way, shape, or form a severe underdog with with no chance of pulling this out. No, I, no, absolutely not. There, this is, again, we're talking about 200-win teams. Right. Either of them can win this, you know. I mean, there's just no, there's there's no question on that. I do think, though, that one of the things I'm interested to see is we have a Dodgers team that right now has... Been chilling. Is is well-rested, but not only that, has a bullpen beyond Kenley Jansen who throw him two innings, you know, like if, if they need two innings from him tonight, two innings. You need two innings from him tomorrow, here's two innings. You have Kenley Jansen doing that, but you also have a pretty well-ordered group of guys... Kenta Maeda, just you know, new discovery setup man. Brandon Morrow, you have Singrani, you've got Watson, you've got even Ross Stripling had a good season for them. I mean, there's there's so many options they can go to. Josh. On Fields. the flip side, I'll be very interested to see with the Astros. How confident are they in that bullpen? Like, who are right now to you the guys? I mean, Ken Giles is their closer. I don't feel like they're very confident in Ken Giles right now. There's no question this has not been a bullpen that has been uh, money. I, 
I'm inherently, even though Chris Davinsky has not been the shutdown guy he was at his prime points during the season, that's still a guy with the stuff and the ability to come in and deliver a shutdown inning or two for you, even though it hasn't been there. I mean, that's a guy that I still have some faith in. But you're right, there's no question the Astros' bullpen is not as deep as the Dodgers' bullpen. And for those reasons, it's going to be imperative, and I mean imperative, for them to kind of do what they did with the Yankees there and get out to that lead in, you know, whether it's the first inning or the fourth or the fifth, jump on those stars. Because if you're in a situation where you're down 3-1 going into that Dodgers bullpen, it's not likely you're going to come out of that with a victory. It's possible. And the Astros have a, an explosive offense that can, you know, I'll put Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa and George Springer when he's right up against any pitching staff in baseball. But I think over the course of seven games potentially, you know, that's not a bullpen you feel great going in against. Well, the the big concern to me is, is I mean, it's not just Giles. Chris Davinsky oh, has he, been... He hasn't been good. There's no question Chris about Davinsky, it. And Chris Davinsky has been a absolute moment of truth guy for the Astros for two years in a row. And you do have to kind of wonder, okay, you know, he has just been used a ton. They've needed him. He's done a wonderful job at it. But... Is he, as we sit here in late October, is he just running out of gas a little bit? Or is he just that he had a bad ALCS? You know, I, I do think at some point you're going to have to kind of know, you're going to have to figure out what you have with Davinsky, uh, you know, if you can really count on him. These are the things, again, I bring these up because these are the things that are the unknowns in this series. I mean, the knowns are pretty clear. Jose Altuve is really good. You know, with the unknown for the Dodgers, really, to me, the main unknown for the Dodgers, it's not, is Clayton Kershaw going to rise to the moment and all that? It's not that. But it is, is Corey Seager healthy enough to be Corey Seager? Now, we have seen this lineup's deep enough to survive without him, but we expect, obviously, Seager to be back in the lineup. They may take some wear and tear off of his you know, back when they go to Houston, I'm, I'm more interested in his abilities defensively with his back. I mean, that's where I think the question mark is going to be because any, anyone who's had any type of back injury knows how debilitating it is for your mobility. We'll see. I, I mean, maybe it's fine. Maybe all the painkillers and rest have worked wonders and he's in good shape. But I think as of right now, here we sit, you know, a couple hours, well, many hours before game time, that to me is the number one question with the Dodgers. Corey Seager's back, but specifically in regards to how it will affect him defensively up the middle. Yeah, and that's, again, when we get to, you know, we, we will have uh, a good bit of this series now or, you know, we're in the World Series, so there is going to be, there are going to be some games where we may see Charlie Culberson at shortstop, Corey Seager DHing. And you because, mentioned especially as we move into Houston. Right, I, when we move to Houston. I do not, if unless Corey Seager is not capable of, of, of going out there defensively, I kind of envision that we're going to have Corey Seager in every game in L.A. playing shortstop. If he can't do it, you know, but again, if he can't, we have seen that Culberson is no Corey Seager, but Culberson can do the job defensively. And then what it means is is that they have other have, guys in the lineup who are capable of stepping and up. And you have a great pinch hitter who is ready there to be used at some point in the game, which is... Is he ready for his Kirk Gibson moment? We'll see. You know, yeah, game yeah. one. The difference Ken Giles is like, instead it. of limping around like you know he really should that if he hits that home run you know you know he should you know with the brake lights in the background and all you know he should be reaching for his back you know like as he goes around like oh it hurts it hurts you know but um but yeah uh, it is something where uh, I mean again just to go back 
Man, it is amazing. That's the last time the Dodgers were in the World Series. Yeah, and, and that's, I think, you, you see the excitement in Los Angeles. The gates are opening today, you know, and I fully wait, expect wait, 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 it'll wait. be packed as soon as the gates open. Wait, wait. Partially because traffic. Partially because they left, they left yesterday evening to get there, you know, on time. But <laughs> if it you, is if amazing you're coming because... coming from the Empire, maybe. It, it is amazing from the standpoint of, because L.A. fans are among the, really just the least passionate fans when it comes to, like, most teams, they're not they're not going to pack the house as much. But this is this is like the Lakers. This is right. So, that... so people, I think, have a fundamental misunderstanding of Los Angeles sports fans. Yes, you have to win. You have to impress them, and they're not going to put up with BS from ownership. But the Dodgers and Lakers are always going to be. You know, there's going there's a lot of passion surrounding those teams. The Angels, the Ducks, the Kings, the Clippers. To a degree, yeah, there's a little bit of fair weather fandom. But those the Chargers, there's zero Chargers, fandom. And even, you know, the Rams have a, a niche. But the, I mean, Lakers, a and, the Lakers and Dodgers, you know, USC football, um, similarly. But even that, the Lakers and Dodgers really have been, you know, consistently drawn for years now. They are the heart and soul of L.A. I mean, anyone, to me, it always strikes me as people who have never been to L.A. or spent time in L.A. or been around the L.A. sports scene, it's kind of ignorant for them to say what they do. Oh, L.A. fans, they show up late, leave early. The Dodger games that I covered and have been to and have you know been a part of various points going to games or you know at, sitting in the stands or covering them for media for years, they've been packed. They've been loud. I was at, I've been at Wrigley Field. I've been at Fenway Park. Dodger Stadium gets every bit as ruckus. And there is a little bit of the traffic does take into account why people leave early. But again, like in I terms said, of, we're talking about the Gibson home run. But, but, and but, one of my memories of it is, is that there are the line of cars that are leaving the game as Kurt Gibson hits and, the winning and there's, run. And there's no question. And one of the, one of the counters is, uh, I think Molly Knight tweeted out the other day, it's been 90 minutes since the game time ended and I'm still in the parking lot and I have school the next day for my kids. Like, you know, there's school the next day for your right, kids. So that's where it comes in. But I, I will say that Dodger Stadium is going to be loud. It's going to be... It's also going to be really hot. It'll be that's old. the crazy thing. Yeah. The, 100 degrees. Yeah, you know, global warming's really hit Southern California hard, and there's been a lot of drought. I mean, it was a five, six-year drought we've seen now with the fires in NorCal. Now you've got the heat, and the Santa Ana winds are going to be uh, potentially coming in. It's going to be... Which I lived in California long enough to know, like, when you talk about in, in SoCal, 100 with the wind blowing one way is entirely different than the 100 blowing the other way. Because when the Santa Anas are coming in, I mean, then you are talking about a truly... You're like if you've only lived on these, like a, a really hot wind. I mean, it is. Yeah, no, it's not pleasant. So it'll be interesting to see how that affects the game at all weather. Just in terms, but it does of, mean uh, I'll give Mike Petriello uh, credit uh, for tweeting this out. Like you know, like the chart of it is is that the hotter it is at Dodger Stadium, the more, the, more the ball, ball carries. flies. Absolutely. So, people don't, I don't think, realize that Dodger Stadium generally is a pitcher's park. Oh, well, I, mean, I think I, I, I think I, I, I say, people do. May, may, that, yeah. Maybe I'm not giving uh, some of the some of the non-West Coasters. Yeah. I feel no, like a lot. Dodger of time, Stadium has long been known as you know one of the. I, you know that, and I know yeah. that, but I, I think when people think of pitchers' parks, I think I don't know for some reason people also I would, oh Petco or AT and no, I always but, think of uh, again I'm but, old, but Dodger Stadium to me, I mean again because part of this goes back to the '60s. Sandy Koufax, incredible pitcher. Dodger Stadium in the 60s was probably as good a pitcher's park as has ever existed no in baseball. I know, because I think you know With what, a mound that, I know that, stood you know that. somewhere I guess around I just, three stories high. I guess I just feel like, in general, when I talk to baseball fans, I talk about pitcher's parks, they bring up Petco, they bring up AT&T. They don't always bring up Dodger Stadium, whether it's because they realize it or not. But yes, when it's a day game there, the ball flies. And that is going to make a huge difference, I think. And it goes back to, for the Astros especially, 
take advantage early. Try and jump on the Dodgers early. Because if you have to get into that bullpen and night's fallen, it's it's going to be tough. Right. Now, like, at the same time, you got to get to Clay- arrested Clayton Kershaw on regular rest. That's going to be tough, too. No so. question. And that's going to be, I think, you know, in terms of just pure game one storylines, look, Clayton Kershaw versus Dallas Keuchel, you know, two of the preeminent left-handed starters in Major League Baseball. But Clayton Kershaw. But Kershaw especially, just given... All the all the narratives surrounding him and, and the postseason and look, this is his first World Series start. I think if he were to come out and have a dominant outing, all of a sudden the fact that he wasn't great in the 2013 NLCS kind of takes a backseat. Yeah, I mean the reality of it is is that this is Clayton Kershaw's moment in many ways. I mean it really is from the standpoint of he's been. I mean, to say that he's been a Hall of Fame caliber pitcher is not doing it justice for what he has been, but this is his first chance. This is his opportunity to really to take one further step. You know, uh, we're, we're going to see, we are going to see him, barring something completely unexpected, we're going to see, you know, him in, you know, in Cooperstown, and it's going to be, you know, a Dodgers cap. I mean, we, these things are already established. But he's got a chance to make a memory here. No question. And to do it at home. I mean, the first World Series game for the franchise since 88. I mean, everything's kind of I mean, come it, together. Again, the thing about it is is that, you know, I'm, I'm old. I, I remember, like, Oral Hershiser in 88. Uh, you know, we can think about Kurt Gibson, but that was also a pitcher taking a team and putting it on his back. The thing that stands out with it, because, by the way, go back and look at that 88 Dodgers lineup. That's one of the worst lineups that has ever ever, ever won a World Series. It was horrific. Especially, you take Kirk Gibson out of it, because that was basically... did Franklin Stubbs lead the team in home runs with like 10 or something? Uh, it is. That team was... The, the fact that that team won the World Series is one of the more amazing things that you'll ever see. And beating the Mets team they did in the NLCS, Right, too. the Mets team and, that and was... Then, and then that A's team. You know, uh, yeah. Which it, would win the World Series a year later, by the way. I mean, it's these were... Great, great teams. They they were, uh, you know, and this that, was that I think is what you know part of the magic of that '88 run. And Kurt know. Gibson had 25, Mark Marshall had 20, and John Shelby had 10. Shelby, okay. Those were the three Dodgers hitters in double digits and home runs as a team. That Dodgers team, admittedly, pitchers park they're playing in, but was a 248, 305, 352 uh, team. You know, but that was the year that Oral Hershiser basically was absolutely unhittable and oral in that playoffs was absolutely not just unhittable but i will sacrifice you know future longevity for the success of this team um you know he, he threw again back then no wild cards or anything but he still threw 32 sorry 42 and two-thirds innings in that playoffs and that, Four and games mind, in the is, World this Series. This is pre-division series. All, all, only LCS and World Series. He threw 24 and two-thirds innings in the World Series that year. I, again, just... And it was a five-game... I'm sorry, the NLCS. He NLCS. made 20, okay. 24 and two-thirds in the NLCS. Basically, NLCS, it was like when they needed it, Oral was on the mound. And then he went, you know, off of that, he went two, nine... He went 18 innings in two starts in the World Series, allowing two runs in 18 innings. 
It was amazing. I yeah. mean, again, if you talk about Earl Hershiser, he had a long career after that. But that was but uh, that that was his signature. But that, not only was that his signature, but he had one more year at that level. The next year, he was really good again, and then he was hurt in '90, and then he was for his 30s, he was a useful pitcher. But he went from being a you know he was an All Star Cy Young Award winner in '88 caliber pitcher. Never made another all-star team after 89. Never had an ERA plus over 121. Yeah, I mean, it was, again, just, right. it he, took a he gave it to him, you know. And the interesting thing about this is he is kind of, I'm not expecting Clayton Kershaw to throw 18 innings in this, although it's possible. But, uh, but I do think, though, that it is, it is Clayton. The, the, the point is, is Clayton Kershaw doesn't have to put him on his shoulders as much because this is a team that has a lot of other guys to help. They have depth. And, and it's a different game as well, so we'll see a lot more early bullpen usage. But I do think the Dodgers, um, it's a great moment for the franchise, and, and the Astros as well. You know, everything that this franchise has gone through, obviously all those losing seasons, you know. And again, it's not as if they built from the ground up in the sense of, oh, it's a bunch of homegrown guys. I believe it was six of their 25-man NLCS roster was actually homegrown, but they used a lot of guys in trades. They made some key key signings. So it's been an interesting, you know, you've seen them use their big prospects. When they've hit, they've hit big. Correa, Springer, McCullers, Altuve, international sign. And beyond those, it's been a lot of veterans supplemented through trades of other prospects. And and that's, they have used a farm system, I think, also very well from the standpoint of the farm systems, not just to break in guys. And they've broken some guys, but it'll be honest, a lot of those guys are guys who are not yet in large roles. We need... Will Joe Musgrove be in a larger role longer term? Will Francis Martez? We got, you know, will Derek Fisher, guys like that. But really what it comes down to is is that they used it, and this is, we've you know written about this at BaseballAmerica.com, they've used it to get to the point where, okay, right now it does not matter what Franklin Perez or Daz Cameron, you know, or Jake Rogers ends up doing for the Tigers. Justin Verlander has done what you wanted him to do. And, again, what you get further from Verlander, if bonus or whatever, but the reality of it is is that there is an immediacy to now. When you have a team that can win the World Series, you don't sacrifice everything for it. But at the same time, wins now are more valuable than wins in 2020. And the Astros did pull that trigger. And... Yeah. Wisely. I mean, the reality of it is, is that what is interesting is, is that this is the year that they really did take the step. I know we think back to, you know, they, they made it to the playoffs, you know, Even a couple in 2015, years that was still a little earlier than people expected. That was. And that was an 86-win team, though. That was not a team that dominated. That was a team that was a playoff team. This is, the juggernaut has arrived this year. And I also think you got to give credit to their front office. you got to give credit to them. A lot of that also became came down to last year, they went for the 86 wins, and they said, okay, we have this young talent coming up. We're going to rely on the guys that got us there last year and supplement from within. And it didn't work. I mean, it just didn't. Like, the reality of it is, is that, you know, the, Carl, you know they, they did, their outfield fell apart besides George Springer. Uh, their pitching staff was not good enough. The, all these things happened. And so what they did... Last offseason, this past offseason, was they said, no, no, no. 
we have to supplement from outside. Brian McCann. And part of it was a recognition that even though they're, some of the sabermetricians love the low average high on base guys, when it came down to it, the Astros realized they were getting way too many empty at-bats. The Luis Valbuena is the world. The Jason Castro is the oh. world. And they went and purposely went out and grabbed guys who make contacts at higher rates. And it's helped transform their offense and, and elevate them also, significantly. But go a step further than that. And this is where I do think the Astros are at the leading edge when it comes to hitting instruction as well. It's not just the guys that they've got from the outside. The guys that they have on the inside have also gotten better at making contact. Like, year by year, their hitters have gotten better at making contact. Year by year, they are making, they're doing more damage with their swings while striking out less. And that's a really hard combination to do. It is amazing to me you know, this team has power, significant power. There are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 hitters on this team, double digits and homers. 11. That's a lot. There's two hitters on this team who struck out 100 times this year. And that's George Springer, who, let me tell you, having covered George Springer coming up to the minors, if you told me that George Springer was going to hit 34 home runs and strike out 111 times in a full season, awesome. I would have been blown away. It's like, no, 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 that number, you, you got that second number wrong. It's 175. And you would have taken it. 175 strikeouts with the with George Springer, his defense, his power, his speed, all that. You would have loved it. But he's cut his strikeout rate. You know, you're, you're talking about Carlos Correa, who's hitting, you know, he got, you know, he missed time this year. But 109 games, hits 24 homers, and he struck out 92 times. You know, Jose Altuve, Yuli Gurriel, you know, taking a step forward. It... And again, then going out and getting guys like Brian McCann and, you know, the Carlos the fact Beltran to help supplement and give that veteran presence. No Marwin Gonzalez turning into the super sub. It is amazing how they've done that. If you told me Marwin Gonzalez was going to end up being a play everywhere guy who hits 20, you know, who I remember watching. I remember, I remember when Houston came into Anaheim I mean, they had a, a, another series with the Padres uh, when they came in and watching this guy, I'm like, this guy's awful. I mean, and, and, and he was. Marwin Gonzalez, Marwin Gonzalez was not a major league caliber player for the better part of three years. And then he blossomed. And that's a testament to him, a testament to the coaching staff and front office for sticking with him because there were some pretty but, ugly, ugly performances by him. But the point being, this is where, if you're the Dodgers, what gets frightening for you is that every single hitter that they will face tonight, that Clayton Kershaw will face, with the exception of... They're going to have to pit, you know, Dallas Keuchel, a little less, a little less to worry about there. But everyone else in that lineup, one mistake, and again, this is baseball in 2017, but one mistake, and you've given up a home run. And, it's, and it's, you mentioned it's one through eight. It's not like, okay, if I get through, you know, Springer, Crayal, Tuve, it lets up a little. Obviously, those three guys are superstars, but still, Gurriel, Reddick, Gaddis, these are really Right, I mean, we're going to see, now again, Josh Reddick, Josh, no one is happier that the stats reset, you know, it's like Josh Reddick will stand in the plate tonight and he'll say, oh for oh. Right. And Josh Reddick will be thrilled that it says oh for oh. He'll also be thrilled that it didn't say oh for the ALCS. It said one for the ALCS. Okay. But mean, there, but there's guys but, throughout that lineup that can hurt you. But right, everyone in that, like you're, you're talking about your seven and eight, you're, you're probably talking it's going to be like Reddick and McCann or Gaddis. I don't know who's going to catch tonight. Uh, probably McCann, I would assume. But uh, although it could be Gaddis because you know you are talking about uh, Kershaw on the mound, so I don't know. 
But uh, but whoever's out there, you know that six, seven, eight in that lineup can can punish you just as much. And because it's an AL team, this is going to be a team that's going to have someone on the bench who, when you get to the fifth, sixth, seventh inning, they're going to have pinch hitters. You know, you're, that's not going to be a problem as well. So it's going to be fascinating. I really am excited about this. I mean, I'm always excited about the World Series, but. I'm really excited about the quality of these two teams, the players on the field. It's it's excellent. There's no question about it. And I think this is a World Series that it's got a lot of potential to produce a lot of great moments. I mean, there really are. You know, the Indians and the Cubs last year also had some of the best young players on the field. They were two fantastic teams, and we saw a a great seven-game World Series. I think again, we're really primed for a draw. You know, battle battle tested. You know, drawn out World Series where. Two incredibly talented teams each have their moments, and you know it might come down to a crucial mistake here and a, a big moment. I, I don't expect this to be a blowout. Now I say that, I will say that the Dodgers and the way they roll and the way they play, I would not put it past them to just everything clicks and they are finely tuned machine. And more about them than anything the Astros do, they just do what they do and before you know it the series is over but I don't think that will happen because Houston has enough talent to match right again you know we will be analyzing uh, game one tomorrow morning Uh, we'll have a Facebook wait I gave my pick Dodgers and six what's yours I gotta go with the Astros because I did I mean I picked the Cubs to beat the Astros in the World Series now that I got the Astros there I'm I'm, I'm gonna gonna say the Astros and again how many seven okay you know and I think I think actually longer series probably to me is more in the it prob- my my brain is telling me Dodgers it really is but there is something about it that just thinks like okay this Astros team I, I do think that the lineup you know as much as much as there are problems and maybe I'm just being contrary because you said Dodgers so we'll be able to talk about it next week and one of us will say haha I was right maybe that's it I don't know. But uh, I'm going to say Astros in a very in a, in a seven game series, um, and now you know that means it's going to be Dodgers in four. But um, but you know we'll see. You know I do hope obviously it goes longer than four, no matter what it is. I you know the longer a series is, the more memorable it is. Um, you know I'm dreaming of that we'll see. You know we'll have another game seven like the uh, Giants Royals a few years ago, which is burned in my memory for for all time because that's that's an all time great series. But we do know we're talking about '88 and. You know, that was a five I, gamer. That, that is burned in my brain. Like if you talk about, I was 16 when that series was going on, and I watched you know every game of it, or at least you know I, that. And but the one I remember, I remember more about that. I was very excited about the NLCS that year, Mets Dodgers, and I remember everything about that NLCS. And I remember Kurt Gibson against Eckersley because I was a big Dennis Eckersley fan, and it was shocking. You know, that was the year that he had the incredible year. And, Great scouting job uh, by the Dodgers. Here's the real question. Do you remember game three, game four? Because I think it's always, that was game one. The Dodgers still had to go out and win three more. No, I have very little memories. Like if you said my next World Series memory after that, like that I really remember not going back and watching it, is the uh, earthquake the next year. I mean, that's, you know. And if you ask me, again, it's been long enough ago. If you ask me what I remember about the uh, 89 series other than the earthquake, I, I don't. And then I remember the Reds beating the A's in 90 and being absolutely floored by that because I just didn't see that coming. My, my first like tangible World Series memory that I can like picture in my head is 97, Edgar Renteria's single against Charles Nagy. I was nine years old. So that was that's sort of like my first tangible like, 
I know where I was. And I remember watching it happen. To put it in perspective, I had covered the uh, Braves Marlins NLCS that the Marlins had beat the Braves. When, when Levon Hernandez, everything was a strike? Yes, yes, yes. I had covered that. So, uh, <laughs> you know, as a working uh, journalist in my 20s, um, my first one is uh, 1979. We are family. So, that I remember. So, I'm old. Um, but uh, but we will. We thank you for the download. We will be back again. We also have a Facebook Live today where we'll, I'm sure, talk some uh, World Series, but we're also going to talk predominantly. We're starting to put out top tens. We'll probably talk some Braves top tens since they're out, and that's a really good system. If you haven't checked that out, check it out, baseballamerica.com. If you haven't subscribed, you know, hey, baseballamerica.com, uh, go to store, click subscribe. As little as $5.50 a month, you're going to be reading scouting reports from now through January, we've got, we already have, you know, we just put up the top 20s for all the leagues. So there's, that's eight, that's, uh, that's hundreds of scouting reports right there. And now we're rolling out the team top tens and we're doing chats and, you know, we're doing also a lot of other pieces around it. We just had the crew come back from Jupiter. So we're already talking 2018 draft and a lot with that. There's a lot of draft content up with that. A lot of stuff, a lot of reasons to subscribe, both the magazine, but also the digital subscription where you get everything online. Good reminder for that. We also do want to remind you, we thank you for tuning in. Today's podcast was sponsored by Baseballism. Don't forget to shop now at Baseballism.com and enter the offer code BASHIP to receive free shipping on your order. Visit Baseballism.com to shop for hats, shirts, and more today. For Kyle, I'm JJ, and we will talk to you again later today. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.